I remember vividly, it was, I think it was a Thursday morning in 1993. It was raining like this. And I found myself on the floor in a synagogue in Flatbush. And I'd come into the shul to, to meet with a rabbi who was at that moment a mentor of mine. And I wanted to discuss with him, having read an article about the death of God, written by the philosopher Richard Rubenstein, I was in a panic. God dead? I couldn't even put those words together in my heart. And every time they arose, my body would shake. I had come to him, as, in essence, as like, like a doctor, right? Like I needed him to prescribe something to remedy the doubt that had begun to plague me. This disease. I was having radical doubt. And so I came and I was in a lot of pain. And it's, inc- it's interesting to think about doubt and how it's treated in various traditions. In our own tradition, safek, which is the Hebrew word for doubt, S-A-F-E-K, safek, samach kuf. In all of the Hasidic svarim, and all of the Hasidic works, the masters of the Hasidic lineage say that safek, that word in Hebrew for doubt, has the same numerical value as Amalek, the arch enemy of the Jewish people. Not so good to be doubtful, huh? If you were a Buddhist, the Buddha mentioned doubt as one of the five hindrances. The chief hindrance in achieving an enlightened state is doubt. It's up there with torpor and sloth. (laughs) Radical doubt. Sitting on your cushion under your Bodhi tree, having doubt about the path, having doubt about the capacity to be enlightened, to be free, to be rid of suffering. Doubt is... Right, a five-letter word that means bad, not good. There's another tradition. And it services in this week's Torah portion. And it, it's a powerful statement about the importance of a kind of kosher doubt, a holy doubt. As many of you know that this week's Torah reading and as the Torah turns is Korach. Korach is the story, the archetypal story in our tradition of the rebel, maybe without a cause. Korach's rebellion, along with 250 of the most important people of the, in, in the community. His rebellion against Moses and against Moses' brother Aaron, their cousins. It inevitably leads to destruction. Moses' response to Korach's challenge in this incredible scene is to ask each of those rebels to take a fire pan, a machta, and put incense in it and assemble before God at the entrance of the oil moed at the entrance of the tent of meeting. A fire comes down And the rebels, in essence, are on an altar. 
they themselves are consumed. And what's left are the ashes and the charred fire pans that represent the symbol of their rebellion. God then tells Moses in chapter 17 that Elazar, the son of Aaron, is to collect the charred fire pans from the remains of the fire and hammer them into plating for the altar as an oath, as an oath, as a symbol, a sign, as a reminder, a warning to the people of Israel. And Elazar does that. Did everybody get that? These symbols of rebellion, of radical doubt in authority, the authority of Mosaic or Mosaic leadership, Aaronic leadership, these remains should be buried. They should be stowed away somewhere, safe and sound. They maybe should have gone down into the earth along with Korach and all of his henchmen. But no, says the Torah, in an incredibly powerful move, the Torah says, take those fire pans, those copper-plated fire pans, hammer them and surround the altar with those charred remnants of rebellion's past. And let that be an oath, an oat, a sign for future generations. On a simple reading, the sign is a warning, a deterrent. Lest anyone have doubt ever again in Moses' leadership, this will serve to remind you, not so fast. Put down your fire pan and take a step away. Let me put your hands where I can see them. But Rav Kook says no. The first chief rabbi of Palestine, Rav Kook, quoting the Zohar, Kadosh, the Holy Zohar, says, Lace there is no light except the light that comes from the dark place. Greater is the light that comes from the dark place, and the light of, this, of these incense holders is sublime. The charred remains of resistance, of rebellion. He even says atheism. Atheism, the scourge of almost every religious tradition to not believe in God, to say God doesn't exist, God is dead. Rav Kook says, atheism serves a function that held in the tension with belief purifies belief. The atheist serves to purge us of our painfully infantile, adolescent, immature understandings of what God is, of what reality is, Atheism serves as radical doubt, making a wedge between what we think is true and our own egoic attachment to it being true. Says the atheist, not so fast. I'm rebelling against the authority of my own belief. I'm asking that my own belief stand up and prove itself to me. Says Rav Cook, that is deserving of being the plating that covers the altar. Resistance, rebellion, maybe more deeply, now that we have an altar in which to serve God, is covered by resistance. The resistance of bad experiences, of bad teachers, of our own inability, of our own cynicism, all of these things cover the altar of God, and it all is holy says Rav Cook.
So bring your resistance to the altar. Bring your doubt. What, what, is, what happened to the doubt that's not good, that's Amalek, that's our arch enemy? So if Cook says that Amalek is two words, Amalek, the nation that breaks the neck. And in a, a gorgeous twist on that name, says that there's doubt that is paralyzing. There is doubt that doesn't get us out of bed in the morning. There's doubt that pulls everything down. And then there's doubt of doubt. There's the capacity to have our own our own dialogue with our resistance. Maybe to doubt my story. There's holy doubt that deconstructs even doubt and deconstructs holiness that is constantly asking for clarification. And that, Rav Cook says, that's holy stuff. In fact, we didn't have to go all mystical in order to know this truth. We could have opened up any page of Talmud, any page of Mishnah, and we would have seen right there on the page of the Jewish tradition dissenting opinions, disagreeing with each other, but recorded for posterity. The charred remains of pans brought on the altar of halacha of every move in normative Judaism has its counter-narrative, its other possibility. To be able to participate in our tradition is to be involved in the space between where God shows up, in the doubt that arises when there is a difference of opinion in machloket, machloket is, or disagreement is, the possibility of knowing humility. And isn't that so lacking in religious tradition? At least the ones that get paraded around in the media, the ones that call themselves the truth. Where's the humility? Where's the I don't know? Religions only gain when they lose. Religions only gain when they lose. When they lose their stronghold on absolute truth. When they relinquish their sense of the absolute and positive for the sake of the liminal and the mysterious. And we're no different. Korach happens every year, and every year I think to myself, I wish I had met Korach. I wish I had... I wish I would have known what it was that motivated him and the others. I find it instructive that tonight and tomorrow we'll be celebrating the month of Tammuz, Rosh Chodesh Tammuz. The Hebrew month of Tammuz is not a happy month. And the month after it, Av, is also not a happy month. And together... Those, 30, those 21 days, the three weeks that begin on the 17th day of this coming month represent the 21 saddest days of the Jewish calendar. 21 days of sorrow, of mourning, of the radical doubt that came with the breach of the walls of Jerusalem, that solid edifice, that solid sense of purpose, of identity, when everything was secure. Korach is always read as we begin that month, the month of the breach, as if to tell us 
that from the breaches in our lives and from those places that are broken, those places that are doubtful, those places that are sitting on the floor crying for the released attachment to something, that something great might one day happen, that those 21 days of mourning might one day be, be joined to the 21 days of joy that we have in our calendar, that together they will rise up and sing a song of unity, a song of holiness. So that's my blessing for you tonight as we enter into the month of the recognition of the darkness. That as Korach also began with the machloket, began with the disagreement, but inevitably at the end, as Rav Kook taught us, his yearning for holiness was memorialized. His resistance, his doubt was memorialized. That when you encounter doubt tonight, tomorrow, next week, that your first question of doubt is, is it true? What in it is true? What about it is holy? What resistance needs to now play to the altar of my heart so that I can rise up together with my doubt and my faith more unified, stronger because of it?